Welcome to the Kate Languages podcast. I'm your host, Kate Clifton. I'm a former MFL teacher who left the classroom in 2017 to set off on my own adventure. Since then, I've developed my passion for helping teachers through creating time-saving teaching resources, delivering language lessons and CPD to languages teachers, and of course, through this podcast. I've had some wonderful feedback from teachers about how my work is helping them with their everyday teaching, and I love connecting with teachers from all over the world. To get in touch, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. I'm at Kate Languages on both, or you can email me through my website, katelanguages.co.uk. But for now, grab a cuppa, although maybe not if you're listening in the car. Sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of the Kate Languages podcast. How are you? Welcome to another episode of the Kate Languages podcast. I'm so excited this evening to be doing my third live podcast recording. And today I'm going to be talking to Bex Waker, who is also a former MFL teacher and is now the MFL subject advisor for Pearson Edexcel. So I'm so, 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 so excited to talk to Bex. We've chatted before on Instagram live. I mean, I've met Bex in real life as well. Um, And we've chatted on Instagram live and I did actually repurpose our chat for a podcast episode as well. So you can listen to that. We did that in the pandemic. So there's there's quite a lot of pandemic-y type talk in there. So if you want to listen to that. But anyway, so we've got lots and lots of people who've joined us. This is being recorded in the evening on a Sunday evening. So thank you everybody who's come along on a Sunday evening to join us. And they've already introduced themselves a little bit. And I know this is going to be such a fantastic conversation. So Bex, welcome along. Thank you for having me back. I must have, uh, we must have had an all right conversation last time to come back again, right? (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I know, but things have changed quite a lot since last time we spoke, actually, hasn't it? So what I thought we'd do is we'll start by, you can tell us a bit about yourself and a bit about your background. I'm going to talk a little bit about myself as well, because obviously I've left teaching. So yeah, and then we're going to kind of evolve the conversation from there. So yeah, so Bex, tell us, who are you? <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> that's, that could be a wild question, couldn't it? I'll, uh, I taught for eight and a little bit years and anybody who, who knows anything through you know, social media to do with me and teaching, teaching literally was everything for me. Everything I did, I had a lot of involvement with Charter College, a lot of involvement with the MFL community on Twitter and on Instagram. And it was literally everything I did. And so to move on was kind of unimaginable. And I think from reading some of the comments, that's the same for a lot of people. I think we're going to talk about that later. But I never found exactly what I wanted. So I started off in one school, left. It was always for good reasons. I left my first school because they stopped teaching A-level languages and I wanted to do that. I left the second school because I was in a grammar school and I didn't want to get typecast as a grammar school teacher. I thought I might get stuck. So I moved on, moved on to the next place. I was head of Spanish there and then went, there isn't any progression for me in this school. The head of department wasn't going to go anywhere for a long time. So I moved on and I moved on to a lead practitioner in MFL role and and MFL teachers listening. Now that doesn't come up very often. That was a, a great opportunity, but then various things to do with the school and the role and and what I was doing just didn't work out for me. And at that point, I thought, what could I do now? Do I want to move on to another school again, fifth school in what would then be eight or nine years? Or is it now time to cut my losses and move on? And there are other factors involving my reason to leave. And I'll talk about that in a bit. But at that point, I thought it's time to go. So uh, yeah, eight and a bit years in teaching desperately wanted to stay within education which I have done and kind of looking forward to to talking about it a bit more now. Do you know it's so interesting because I had a really similar experience in that so I trained in London I mean it's quite interesting I had like five or six interviews while I was doing my PGCE to get my NQT job I feel like these days it's just not as competitive. I don't know. I don't know if I just interviewed really bad. I don't know what it was. I, yeah. Anyway, so I got a job, but it was a maternity cover, which I did for a year. And then I had to get another job, which was another maternity cover, which I did for another year. Then I got a job as second in department, head of German. So I'd done two years of maternity cover. So NQT plus one year, 
and then did maternity cover. Uh, uh, no, then it was a, it was a permanent job. And I did it for two years. I, um, I haven't really talked about this very much, but my I didn't get on with my head of department, let's put it that way. She was a bully and really quite unpleasant. And the, it was just an unpleasant situation. So I, at that point, I'd been in London for five years. And I just, yeah, I just thought, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And I literally like quit my whole life in London, sold my flat. I moved back up to where I'm from near Peterborough enrolled in a master's. I did, that's when I did my MA in applied linguistics at Nottingham, was commuting back and forth there. So I did that for a year. Thought I wanted to do a PhD, but thought, oh, I need to do some teaching. So I got another maternity cover in the school where I went when I was a kid. Oh, well. <laughs> so I went back to my old school. There were still loads of teachers there who knew me, which was amazing. Like my head of department was my French teacher when I was doing A-level. And also my mum had taught there as well. Oh, well. <laughs> I know. Anyway. And I actually have to say, I probably would probably would have stayed there, funnily enough. I loved it. But that was a maternity cover. And then I got another job in another school. So I ended up teaching in five different schools as well. And the last school I was at, I was went in as a classroom teacher, ended up, I was doing gifted and talented for a couple of years, and then head of German, which I was like, I did head of German in my third year of teaching. I didn't want to be head of German. I was kind of made to be head of German. And yeah, and then that didn't run. Again, we'll talk about like how and why we actually left in a minute, I think. But it's so interesting to, you know, I mean, I I knew that about you already, but I think it it is interesting that we both had that experience as well of going from, you know, different schools and just never quite finding the right school. I don't know if I maybe could have found the right school or... Yeah, that's exactly it, isn't it? And I think the last school I was at, I really thought I had this image of my forever school, which I kind of thought I was going to do what I did because every time I move was for promotional for a change. And I, I still still believe I did it for all the right reasons. And it gave all the right experience on the way. But I thought I was landing in the school where I was going to fit. And I was going to stay there for you know, the foreseeable future. But it just didn't, it didn't really work out that way. And I I don't think that's the end of the world. But I think you're right. You do leave and think, oh, what if? What if I'd have been in a different school? Would I have stayed? Uh, What if I hadn't made that move after X school? Would I still be there? Can't really look at it that way though, can you? No, no, I think, yeah, it's it's impossible to, to know, you know, how things could have turned out differently. Well, there are other factors as well that led to you finally writing that letter of resignation? Yeah, I think to an extent, and when people ask me, you know, how are you doing now? What made you leave? I was just done. I had got to that stage where I think I could see where it was going. I could see lots of teachers experiencing burnout. I could see all of the problems other people were having. And I'm not ashamed to say I was recognising the amount of tears that I was crying on a weekly basis just because I was just either exhausted or I didn't feel like I could do my job well anymore. I wanted to do the whole school teaching and learning stuff that was really my absolute goal, but I didn't have the time to do my own lessons well. So because I couldn't do my own lessons because I was fighting fires left, right and centre, I wasn't getting the satisfaction from my teaching and I then wasn't getting the satisfaction from the rest of it. And I went, you know, I was mm, 31 or whatever it was. And I went, you know, what? I can't spend the next 30 odd years of my life working and feeling unsatisfied. I have to do something about it. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting thing as well is when you realise, you know, you've been doing it for like you say, eight years or so. And I think probably by the time I left, I'd been doing it on and off because obviously, like I said, I did my master's. Yeah, for about eight years. I don't know if that's a, it's like the seven year itch in relationships yeah. or something. You're like, okay, if, if it's not working now, it's never going to work. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, talking about the the burnout issue is that I didn't see my burnout coming. And at the time, I think I called it like I said, oh, I've had a breakdown. But I look back now and it was it was burnout. And I was suffering from anxiety, which I've never before or since ever had you know, panic attacks and literally not being able to get out of my house and go into work and was signed off with stress and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I think, I mean, since then, since I've been, you know, I work with teachers and things like that now, I I think quite a lot of my work is focused on people, helping people to not actually get to that point because it is such an extreme thing. Like I kind of joked earlier that I'm not the best person to ask because 
I actually got to the point where from one day to the next, I could not go to work and I never went back. And that was, that was it for me. And that I would never choose to do that. And it was such a difficult, and I felt awful. I mean, my tutor career were in year 11 at the time. I felt absolutely awful about that as well. But I physically couldn't do it. I literally could not get in my car and go to work without having a panic attack. And I look back now, you know, seven years on, and I just think like, wow, that was, that was a time, <laughs> you know, it, it was hard. And as I say, I think I've spent a lot of time since then wanting to work with teachers and wanting to prevent other people from getting to that point and to to recognise. So I'm glad to hear that you did actually recognise and you didn't get to that point and you did actually resign properly and leave <laughs> to yeah. do it all like that. So yeah, so before our conversation, like, you know, in the past week or so, I did a bit of a poll on Instagram. I mean, it's a very unscientific poll. And one of the questions I asked was, so I asked, you know, how many people have thought about leaving teaching in the past year? And 78% of the people who responded said they had considered teaching in the past year, which sounds like a lot. I mean, it might be a little bit biased towards, you know, the kind of people who are going to answer the poll, you know, like I say, it's very unscientific. But that backs up data that 40,000 teachers left the profession in 2022. And this was not teachers who retired or died. These are teachers who left before retirement. So they left before like they should have. 40,000. And as we know, they're not reaching the recruitment targets either. So, you know, this this isn't just a like, oh yeah, Kate and Beck's just like left teaching. We're like, oh well, whatever. It is actually, you know, it's a huge issue. And I think there's some really interesting questions about why this is happening. One of the, yeah, so I also asked teachers if they have considered leaving, what were the reasons? And the vast majority of answers that I got, I mean, the word workload came up over and over and over again. People wanting to spend time with their children and not feeling they could spend time with their children. I had a really great comment from the Teach Sleep Repeat podcast. I don't know if you guys have ever listened to that. They're brilliant, really funny. They're primary school teachers, two men, but also talk about quite a lot of the sort of serious issues to do with their you know, everything to do with teaching. And they respond, I don't know which one it is, there's two of them. (laughs) So I don't know if it was Hayden or Dylan, but either way, the pay and benefits have been slowly eroded over the last 15 years. Other jobs are catching up plus stress. And I think that's a really, really interesting thing. So I'll put a pin in that one. We can have a chat about that in a second. Workload, 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 everyone's saying workload, constantly changing expectations, the constant stress of uptake within MFL. So I don't know if this affects other subjects as well, but a lot of questions I get from people are about how do we make kids do, well, not make, you know, but how do we encourage kids to do MFL GCSE? Work-life balance. A lot of people are saying work-life balance. A few people saying student behaviour, the effect that it's having on their own health and well-being, stress, anxiety. Somebody said, I've just had my first child and want more time with him. Plus, I don't love it anymore, which is such a shame. We've had a few comments already while we've been chatting as well. Someone saying, I love the teaching, but I find the behaviour has got a lot worse over the years. So, yeah, someone else said toxic decisions from the top. So, I mean, there's so many factors. That That's so damning, isn't it? And, together, oh. it's just like, I mean, I don't know the t- if the top is SLT or if it goes above up to the government. Mm-hmm. And I think that yeah, goes back both. to what Teach, Sleep, Repeat guys were saying about pay and benefits being slowly eroded. So, right. What should we address first? How about that comment so about the, the pay and benefits? Other jobs are catching up and teaching isn't particularly attractive anymore. What do you think about that? I agree. I think a lot of people post-pandemic realised this when, you know, maybe friends who weren't teachers then went back to work and have been working more flexibly because a lot of working environments made a, a big flip after the pandemic, didn't they? So, okay, how can we work differently? And, and that wasn't a luxury that teaching was afforded. And that's that's fine because we can't suddenly say, oh yeah, we can all work from home. That, that doesn't work. But I think people realised that there were things that other people could have that they weren't having. And whilst the holidays and stuff can be a, a balance to that, and I'm sure we'll come back to that, it wasn't enough for some people. So I think that's one of the things. I think pay is pay and benefits are very dependent on where you're at in teaching and what role you're doing. I have to say it's not something that 
that was a consideration for me when leaving. I wasn't looking for something higher paid. In fact, I was willing to take a pay cut to get out. So I wouldn't say that that really comes into it, although it does at the lower ends of the scale for sure and affects different people differently, of course. But um, the benefits thing, the the flexibility of working has to come into it, doesn't it? It's, I think, still too many things in teaching that we say, oh, we do it this way because that's all how we've always done it. And there'd be other ways of doing those same things that would work better for different people and, and it's still not happening in teaching. No, and I think, you know, when I think about my husband's job, he's not a teacher and he works from home like most of the time now. But I mean, he works in London, so it's a bit of a commute. So he's in the office probably twice a week maximum. They've been really like he's been part time, well, part time. He was on 80 percent and then he's gone up to 90 percent. And I mean, that hasn't really been an issue. I don't think flexible working is impossible with teaching, though. I mean, why do you have to be in school for your PPA, for example? You know, just simple little things like that that can potentially be different. I don't know. But yeah. No, I agree because it's just, it's small things, isn't it? I was just thinking the other day, you know, I needed to go and take my car in for a service. Now, when I was teaching, that had to wait till the holidays or had to be a weekend, which was often impossible. But if, for example, like you're saying, could you take your PPA how you want it? If you could pop out to take the car and come back, that's something you're not having to do another time it's just that little bit of work-life balance I hate that phrase really because it's not really a but you know what I mean it's it just gives back a little bit and would make a difference to people yeah I remember oh in one of my jobs I'm gonna say like I had a doctor's appointment or I had something and they were really funny about it and they were, I think they're almost gonna say like oh you're gonna have an unpaid half day and I was like well I should have just phoned in sick this morning then because then I would have got paid for it. And I just thought, how ridiculous. I had something that I had to do, like a doctor's appointment. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I just fancy going shopping. It was, you know, it was a serious thing. So say it was a doctor's appointment. And yeah, and they were really funny about it. And I was a bit stroppy and I was just a bit like, oh, I should have just said I called in sick. And they were like, well, you can't say that now, can you? (laughs) But yeah, that kind of thing. And I, I remember having conversations with people who weren't, teachers and they just don't understand that you can't take a day off for stuff and yeah you know what is really interesting so my sister now teaches in America the summer holidays are really really long they don't have as many holidays throughout the year so it it is all slightly different system but they have a number of personal days that they can take so there have been times when we have arrived, like we've flown out to America and we've arrived on a working day and she's allowed to take that day off to come and pick up her family from the airport, who she's probably not seen for like, you know, six months or a year or something like that. And I just think that's generous and that's kind. And why shouldn't it be like that? And unimaginable here, isn't it though? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, some people fight to get family weddings or funerals. You yeah. see all sorts of awful posts on social media about that kind of thing just unimaginable yeah when my nana died she lived up in north wales and the funeral was on a thursday and i was like well i'm not coming home on a thursday after my nana's funeral so i'm gonna take the friday off thursday i got paid friday was an unpaid day <gasps> you're kidding yeah. no yeah that sums it up really yeah <laughs> there's a good comment here as well so this is about what we're talking about especially considering how much time we spend outside of lesson time planning marking etc and top of that the amount of work needed to plan cover well yes that's that's another issue as well isn't it that you know if you do need to take any time off then you have to get the cover and all, all that kind of stuff as well and I think the pay issue is really interesting as well when I look at the pay scale if I went back to teaching I'd barely be earning more than I left seven years ago and I Admittedly, I had a TLR, a lot of very small TLR. It was probably less than £2,000 a year, probably. And I was on, I think, UPS 2 by the time I left. I would not really be earning much more than I did seven years ago. And again, if I think of the difference between my, my husband's earnings in the past seven years, it's massive. And I mean, okay, he's moved from job to job and he's had promotions and stuff like that. But, you know, and, and you look at a starting salary for a teacher and then the progression... And if you look at the private sector and the types of salaries that graduates can earn and how quickly they can progress, it doesn't measure up. And I do wonder whether this is a particular issue with MFL, 
and science and maths and things like that because you know there's some degrees where you can walk into a really high paid job like straight out of university yeah and if unless you really want to do it it's not attractive enough and I'll be honest and this is a slight aside but I I fell into teaching in the first place I came in because at the time I wasn't convinced it was something I wanted to do but thought I would try it what a laugh that was I thought I'd try it and then if I didn't like it oh well I'd leave at the end of the NQT with the qualification of course everybody here knows that you wouldn't do that because you'd given up before that point wouldn't you but I came into it because there was a big enough bursary to make me want to at least give it a shot but that system's not working either but that something needs to give something needs to change there yeah I taught English as a foreign language and I lived in Indonesia and I used to see the qualified teachers and we had a great lifestyle for like English as a foreign language teachers but the actual international school teachers had the most incredible lifestyles and I was like oh maybe I could do that so I thought I'll just you know I'll come back home do my do my PGC do my NQT year I don't even know how many years ago that was 18 years ago something like that so that was my plan and that didn't happen and I think this this could be the difference and this could be that people kind of try teaching for a while and then, you know, that's not necessarily something they've dreamt of since they were a child and something they've always wanted to do. Just to go back to another comment, actually, the pay gap is evident when you start to look at best years on your pension. My inflation adjusted salary from eight years ago is more than I earn now. I mean, inflation is massive at the moment, but that is just wrong, isn't it? Yeah. That's so messed up. Oh, yeah. But having said that, I'm not going to ask you how much you earn, but I will disclose that I have never, since I left teaching, I've never earned as much as I earned as a teacher. It's really hard, isn't it, to find something that matches? Mm, I think I'm getting there. And to be fair, I don't, I mean, my son's at preschool three days a week. I don't work full-time anymore. I earn as much as I would as a a part-time teacher, but to get back to that level of what I was earning as a full-time teacher. It's not that easy, but then I'm self-employed. So this is what we're going to talk about, what we actually do now, what we've done since the classroom. So I did, I did say you are the Pearson Edexcel MFL subject advisor. If you could explain what that is. <laughs> Will do. So I started, well, actually it's a year ago this week. So that, that's oh, wow. a, my first year post-classroom. My role for anybody who's listening who's actually with Pearsonet Excel, I'm afraid you'll be fed up with me already because you'll see my face here, there and everywhere plastered on the language pages of the website. I know. Every, I always get the emails. I'm like, oh, hi, Bex, on my email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there I am again. You know, people say, how do you get, how do I get hold of you? I'll oh, just go on the website, find my face. It'll be easy. But essentially what I do is I'm the first port of call for teachers who've got questions about the Pearson Ed Excel GCSEs and A-level languages qualifications and the international GCSE and the international A-level, both of which I knew precisely zero about this time last year. So I'm the first port of call for that, really. So my day-to-day is still hugely involved with teachers and supporting teachers, which is basically what I built myself whilst I was teaching anyway is all I was interested in was supporting teachers and doing that kind of thing so I've taken what I was doing on my unpaid time and made that into my my role in a way and I think that's been quite fortunate for me that that's a lot of what I do so I go out and about to events to do with the new GCSE and the launch events for all of that kind of stuff so yeah, still very much in education, supporting teachers, but uh, not doing the chalk face stuff myself anymore. I think something I just picked up on that you said is that you're now working on stuff that you didn't know anything about before. And I think people are really nervous about leaving teaching and doing something different and thinking, I don't know anything about this. How am I going to do it? So how did you find that? I mean, obviously, yes, it's still MFL and it's still exams and, and still teaching and stuff. But how did you find that? I mean, literally on a kind of day-to-day basis, did you turn up and they were like, right, you need to learn about this tomorrow? Or did they give you time to learn and sort of develop your knowledge about the exams that you didn't know about? I think the difference with going to teaching and having to suddenly teach a specification you don't know is that suddenly you're in the classroom in front of 30 kids and you've got to get it right. Whereas for me, there's the the barrier of I'm sat in my office at home behind the computer screen. If a teacher emails me or contacts me about qualification I wasn't confident on yet, I'd scour the website. 
I'd read all the specifications. I'd ask the people who designed those specifications and I'd ask the questions and then I'd get the answers. And it's been, I've been able to have that slower journey towards knowing those qualifications inside out, as opposed to a panic of, yeah, the way, like the way you put it, oh, you have to know this for tomorrow. Absolutely wasn't the case. They didn't literally send you home with, you know, a thousand pages worth of specifications. <laughs> <laughs> no, they could have done. And I, I spent a lot of time in my first few weeks before I really wasn't answering queries at the speed I am now. And I would spend a lot of time. I made myself some crib sheets about the different qualifications that I didn't know about before. And I took that time to to get to know those things. But you don't have to know. There's a lot of skills that teachers have that you can transfer into another setting. You don't have to have all the knowledge. If you can show that you've got the ability to do something or the ability to learn about something else, you don't have to have all that knowledge already. And with the kind of the rate that knowledge and things change at these days anyway, I don't think employers out there need you to know everything straight away. They just need to know that you're able to know, if you get what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I mean, you know, my husband's never been a teacher, but he works in communications. So he knows about communications, but he's worked in different organisations and has had to get up to speed on what the organisation is about. And even within he, what he's doing at the moment, he's now um, working on offshore wind projects. Now, five years ago, he would have had no idea about offshore wind projects. But he's learned about it and he's developed the skills while still doing the communications for it. So, you know, that's that's his main thing and that's his main skill set. And like you say, the knowledge and information changes so much that, yeah, I think you need to focus on which skills you have and the knowledge comes after that. Is that, would you agree? Yeah, for sure. And you, you have to learn how to kind of rephrase those skills. I don't know if that's somewhere we're going with this, but I'll I'll go that way a second. Yeah, I do. Because so for me, I just started working for myself. So I've never had to like sell myself. Well, I mean, I sell myself. I sell, oh my gosh, that sounds a bit dodgy. I don't, I don't sell myself. I'm not, I'm not on OnlyFans, just to let you guys know. Uh, no, but I mean, well, this I, is I, taking you know, a turn. I know. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, anyway, so no, uh, what I mean is I have to sell me as a person on social media and to schools to kind of prove myself all the time but I'm not doing I haven't done an interview basically (laughs) which is quite nice actually I have had the odd interview just you know to do a couple of couple of bits and pieces but mainly people just contacting me and saying hi do you want to come and do some stuff with us and more of a chat (laughs) than me like applying but anyway yes so I've lost my train of thought. What was what was my question? Reselling the skills you have <laughs> yeah, as something else. Yeah. Re- reframing it all, yeah. Yeah, because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to remain within education, but I quite honestly resigned for the October deadline date. I did not have a job to go to. I'd been applying left, right and centre for all sorts of things. And at this point, I've convinced myself now I'm leaving I couldn't in my head see myself going back in the January. So I thought, right, I'm going to have to resign, even though I've still found nothing. I will supply teach if I need to in the January. But I was applying for all sorts of things, as long as they were related to education or uh, to do with things like instructional design, which is what I really started to get interested in digital learning. And I, I did something on that. But you had to learn to reframe things. So it was just small things like not talking about communicating with parents you're now communicating with stakeholders it was just things like that it was taking your data analysis and how can you reframe that because you've done a lot of that especially people who are heads of department and that kind of thing you've done a lot of those kinds of things you've done a lot of report writing if you've done curriculum planning you've designed things you've you you just have to find ways of re-spinning those things that you think are really ordinary and just to do with teaching and go actually that applies in another way and kind of and flip it. Absolutely. And teachers, I think, underestimate what incredibly talented, skilled, knowledgeable professionals they are. Because I think also when you've been doing it for a long time, and we had some comments before we actually started recording of people, and quite a few people who are with us this evening have been teaching for 20, 25, 30 years. And you do it day in, day out, and you just think it's really easy. And you don't realise the level of skill involved and what you can actually do. So, yeah. Did you get any help with your CV writing or anything? Not 
directly. I actually, I did something quite brave for me. I just reached out to random people on LinkedIn and went, I can see you've left teaching and decided to do X, Y, or Z. And I don't know how I even found these people, but I did. And some people were excellent. I spoke to a couple of people who said, oh, do you want me to, I had a couple of um, FaceTime calls and stuff with people who talked about how they'd done it and what they'd done and, and how to change my CV. But then I just did a lot of reading online in terms of you know, how do I reframe this CV to make it less teaching? Well, in fact, teachers, we don't tend to really use CVs anyway, do we? And I, I got my mum to look at it, if I'm honest. I got people like that to to do a lot of the support stuff. So I didn't I didn't have much in terms of, I didn't reach out to a consultant or anything like that. Okay, yeah. Because I know that there are people, there's a lot of people out there who will help with CV writing, help with interview prep for, you know, non-teaching jobs and things like that. So that's definitely worth, you know, if people are really seriously considering moving completely. And I mean, you know, we've both stayed in the world of education, but if you're thinking of moving completely out of education and actually wanting to apply for jobs, then I am a massive fan of finding people to help you. You know, don't always try and do stuff by yourself. We have had a really good question as well. How did you find your job? So I use a few different websites. And in the end, I'll be honest, in the end, this job came to me via a very nice person on Twitter who said, I've seen this job advertised. I think it's got your name written all over it, which was just, I think the the, the absolute power, and I think Joe would agree with this, so he doesn't mind me saying, the absolute power of connecting with people via social media through things like the MFL Twitterati is huge because people then know you or you know them and you've got that network. And that's what found me this particular role. But to go on a slightly more useful route, I guess, but I was using things like charity job. There's a lot on there if you're interested in remaining within education or those kind of sector jobs. Things like Indeed, LinkedIn, actually, it went from, I'd always seen LinkedIn as a bit of a storefront for showing off and not really knowing what, <laughs> what else it was for. But actually, once you put your skills and your things in, it starts throwing at you jobs that might be useful and might be interesting. And you kind of find yourself going from there. And there was a website called Did Teach, and they have jobs listed on there specifically that are good for former teachers. And also a group on Facebook called, and it's something like Life After the Classroom, Survive and Thrive, or it was something like that. And lots of people were giving really good suggestions on there. So there's there's quite a few places that you can look, because again, we're very used to looking on places like Tez, aren't we? And, and not knowing where else to find normal work, as it were. Mm. I've just made a note of a couple of those things that you said. And when we release this as a podcast episode, I will put the links in the show notes. So, oh, we just had another comment. The civil service has a jobs app. Yes, I looked on there. Civil service. I mean, especially if, you know, if central government, if you're living vaguely near London, again, I keep talking about my husband. He used to work for the civil service, Department of Transport, and he commuted from here. This was pre-pandemic, so he had to go every single day. And my brother-in-law works for civil service as well. So yeah, there's there's a lot there. And lo- you know, more local government and things like that as well. I think a lot of it depends on your background and you know your skill set and things like that. Yeah, I believe the civil service do take a lot of teachers, actually. I've heard that previously. And actually, just one more thing whilst I'm thinking of it. University jobs has just come up there. Jobs.ac.uk, that is the one that I was on a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, jobs.ac, because I was really interested in working for a university, as I had been before I even started teaching. So there was that. And also now knowing, I'd go on exam board websites. Exam boards are always crying out for teachers, whether that's within the assessment side of things, designing the exams, whether it's within the extra services that exam boards provide, there's loads. Um, So I'd go directly to those websites as well. Yeah, and I think a lot of it depends on the type of thing that you want to be doing. You know, if you want to stay within education, there there are so many different avenues that you can explore. And obviously I'm still in education, but decided to work for myself. And actually someone in the comments is saying that they have left. I think they said they left teaching to focus on tutoring and a couple of people saying, you know, they're, they're leaving or thinking of leaving to focus on tutoring. So what I did when I left, so I, so as I mentioned before, I did a master's quite a long time ago now. It was like 2011 or something. And while I was doing my master's, I did some tutoring. So I knew that there was 
the need out there. I knew that this could be something I could do. And I'd, I'd even done some online tutoring back in 2011, 2012. So I knew that that was a, a possibility and, and things like that. So when I realised that I was just like, I cannot go back into a classroom, I knew that there would be some need out there and that I would be able to do a bit of tutoring. And I, so I just set myself up and I started with word of mouth and I started teaching like little children from the age of about five or six who were kind of like friends of friends kids and things like that and I did obviously some GCSE tuition A level things like that I taught adults best thing about MFL I have to say is that you can teach people right across the age group and then I started to get more into oh and then I started doing writing resources and that kind of took off and that was something I really wanted to do. And then I was commissioned by the BBC to do BBC Bite Size, which was really, really good and really, really helpful to have had that. And yeah, and everything just kind of evolved and changed. And it's got to the point now where I don't work with kids anymore. I don't teach children at all. I still get requests for tuition. I'm like, no, sorry, I don't do GCSE tuition. I don't, I don't do that kind of thing anymore. But yes, yeah, so I've got to the point where I'm doing more sort of teacher training and obviously, you know, the podcast and CPD and all that kind of stuff that I do. And the other thing I was going to say about that is you were talking about, you know, knowing nothing. Well, I now I have a website. I'm self-employed. I have a business. I am, you know, have a social media presence. All of this stuff seven years ago, I had no idea whatsoever. I'm extremely lucky in that my stepmom built my website. She has a web design business. I mean, she's pretty much retired, but she still, you know, she still does websites for people and stuff. So I am so incredibly lucky with that. So she did that and she still, I mean, I do quite a lot of it myself. I've had to learn like how to do loads of stuff. I mean, I can't code. I haven't got quite that far, but yeah, so doing a lot of stuff on my website myself that I just would have had no idea about seven years ago. And I think if I hadn't got to such an extreme situation, I just would have thought, no, I can't do that. No way. There's no way I'm going to be able to do that. But you do, you just learn it. At the moment, I'm really, really working on my social media and my social media presence and building all that. And the podcast, I mean, to be fair, I have kind of handed over a lot of the podcast to Joe now. <laughs> Thanks very much. Um, but I did about four seasons where I you know I just recorded it and I just kind of like edited it a bit and then I found a bit of music on Pixabay and then I kind of like added a bit of that in and I think the thing is it can look like an enormous mountain when you're in the classroom day in day out and you're just like I don't want to do this anymore I want to do something else and you look at the other thing and you're just like I can't climb that mountain how the hell am I going to climb that mountain and the, the answer is you do it step by step and you just learn stuff as you go along. I love learning. I mean, I'm like, like I say, well into all my social media stuff at the moment, really enjoying learning about that. I listen to loads and loads of business podcasts, which I never would have thought I would have done, you know, again, seven years ago, people said, yeah, you will listen to like hours and hours of, you know, these business influencers and that kind of stuff. I just would have thought, no, that sounds really boring, but I love it. And I'm really interested in all that kind of stuff. And I just think, don't underestimate your, but again, as a teacher as well, you know, as an educated professional, your ability to learn new skills and to implement them and to, to just do stuff as you go along. And I got to say a lot of the stuff I do, I just crack on with it. <laughs> and then I'm like, I should probably learn how to do this better. The podcast is a perfect example. Like don't listen to my first episode. I literally just got my phone out, recorded a voice memo and uploaded it. That's literally what I did. And then over the years, I mean, that's been about two or three years now, I think. I don't know. It's got a lot better. And like I say, now I've handed over the proper tech stuff to Joe. It actually does sound really, really good these days. But yeah, and I think some people are so terrified of taking the leap because they think, oh, I can't do everything all at once. But you can't. You can't do everything all at once. But you know what? It's very easy to go, oh, yeah, I can't relearn that or I can't change or whatever. You're doing it as a teacher day after day, week after week, when your SLT or your head of department or the government throw something completely different at you. We all did it in the pandemic, didn't we? We did something completely different. People started teaching on this Zoom thing that none of us knew what it was. <laughs> I think anybody who's who's listening thinking, I just I can't start again. I can't start again. I'm too used to this. 
you can, you absolutely can, because you're adjusting to it every day when there's a, you know, I think probably the majority of teachers here are, are MFL teachers. So, you know, you've had new specifications thrown at you this year and in 2016 and not too long ago before that. You've done it. You do it all the time. Yeah, it feels like a bigger change, but it's manageable. It's doable. Yeah, definitely. I think if you can learn this new specification for the GCSE, you can do anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, my word. Okay, another deep question from Teach, Sleep, Repeat, guys. Honestly, for a Sunday evening, are you ready? Yeah. What do you think would actually solve the recruitment and retention crisis in teaching? That's a difficult question. So much of it is linked, because for me, I think if there were more teachers, then each teacher could teach for less time. And so you'd have more time to be able to do your job well and feel successful at it. And like I said earlier, that's why I left. I couldn't feel successful at it anymore. But because we can't recruit more teachers because it's a vicious circle. So I think it is, it's massively a, if teachers have the time and space to do their job properly and do their job so they can feel proud of it, then teachers would be more positive about teaching. We could recruit more teachers. And I don't know how to solve that. And I think that's probably why I'm here now because I didn't know how to, to make that better for myself or anybody else. I do wonder if in the end it is about money. And I know quite a lot of people say, oh, it's not about the money for me. And we've both just said, like, we're not earning more money outside the classroom. I think if it was really normal for an experienced teacher to be earning 60, 70, 80,000 pounds, like a normal middle manager in the private sector, like, I honestly do think the teachers would be really shocked by how much money people earn in the private sector or civil servants. Like, it's not, I'm sorry, but. Central government, it's not difficult to earn 60 to 70,000 pounds in central government as a middle manager. So why are teachers who've been, you know, MFL teachers have been to university for four years and they've done another year of PGCE and they've done another now two years of ECT. That's seven years of training and you're expected to work for 25, 30, 35,000 pounds. You know, maybe getting up to about 40, 45 by the time you've been teaching for like 15 years. I mean, okay, London's a bit different, but whatever. Yeah. And we're supposed to do it for the love of it, aren't we? That's the problem. It's the image. Yeah. And okay, there's the holidays. And that's another question we'll discuss in a second. But I just think if, like I say, if it was more normal, if teachers actually were paid what, you know, like I'm saying, 60, 70,000, 80,000 pounds a year should be a normal salary for a teacher. And I think, but also, like you're saying, I mean, you just need so much more money in education. You need more money for, I mean, the buildings are falling to pieces. <laughs> you need more money to pay your teachers. You need more money, I think, to recruit more teachers, to reduce class sizes, you know, to reduce teachers' timetables. So, you know, teaching 22 out of 25 lessons a week, how are you meant to even prepare those 22 lessons a week. But I do look back now and I just say, how did I, I teach maybe like three or four <laughs> lessons a week. I'm doing a lot of other stuff. And like I say, I only work on three days a week. And only while George is at nursery, he tells me off of a corner nursery, preschool. So I'm only working from like half nine to half two, three days a week. You know, it's not a huge number of hours. But yeah, I teach maybe three or four lessons per week maximum. And I mean, it doesn't take me a huge amount of time to plan them these days, but it still takes a bit of time. And I just think, how can you do 22 of those a week? Madness. And I think that's what made me go in the end. I can't, I can't do this many lessons as well as I know I'm capable of, if I had the time and space and behaviour is another thing, I'm not going to go there, to do it well. But if you can't have that time and space to do it well, because there isn't the time and the finance to back you up to do that, you don't get the satisfaction out of it. That's majorly the issue as, as far as I see it. Yeah, we've had another good comment as well. I think schools also have the pressure to reduce budgets, etc., and have too much of a business hat on. So that's, yeah. And I mean, we could probably get really quite political about, you know, multi-academy trusts and the government and DFE and all that kind of stuff. And the off I mean, let's not mention the offset word. So, yeah. So I think there are so many other pressures on top of, I know money isn't always the answer, but I do think like... Oh, you'd probably have to quadruple the education budget, wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. Yeah, because I don't, I don't even mean money to individual teachers, although I agree with you. They should be on level pegging with, you know, people with equivalent qualifications and all the rest of it. But money in the system to allow teachers to have the time that they need, I think it would make such a massive difference. But I don't have a magic wand or, you know, a pot of gold somewhere. So 
But look, I think they need, you know, they need to look at independent schools. How much are independent schools charging per pupil? And that's how much funding they need. You know, you need, I don't know, 15, 20,000 pounds per pupil per year. And because that's roughly what, you know, independent secondary schools charge. I mean, some of them are obviously a lot more than that and boarding schools are different. But um, yeah, it's a lot more than they're currently getting. Okay, so the other question that came in was about holidays. So how is it without the school holidays is basically the question. Uh, This would be a huge factor for me. So can you speak to that? I can categorically say I do not miss the holidays because I'm not as tired as I was. I was longing for the holidays every time, crawling to those holidays because I was exhausted. Sunday night, and I feel for those of you listening this evening, because Sunday night I didn't like because I knew Monday was was coming. Today I've got none of that. I don't feel any of the schmunday, as I call it. I don't have any of that. But the holidays I take when I want them. I took a couple of days before Christmas just because I could. I've taken holidays outside of the school holidays because I have the benefit of not having children, so I don't need to have school holiday. But I absolutely don't miss it. And that is the first question everybody asks, oh, but don't you miss the holidays? No, don't, because I don't need them in the same way as I did before. Yeah, and I would 100% agree with that, that before my son was born, I I mean, I, I don't know when I took holiday. Like, like you say, just kind of took holidays when I fancied. Now I'm more kind of you know, more in the school terms. And so he's just had three weeks off for Christmas. So I basically couldn't really work while he did that. So I think it is different. I know the person who asked this has two children who are at primary school. So whether she means, you know, how do you fit it in when you don't have the holidays with your kids? And I know from like the fact that my parents were teachers that it was just never an issue for us. Like, you know, they were always on holiday when we were on holiday. So that is an advantage when you have kids, for sure. The last school I worked at had really random holidays anyway. So if I was still teaching at that school and my son is, so the preschool he's at, he's going to stay for primary school as well. That wouldn't have worked either. I don't know what I would have said. He just would have been in holiday club all the time. And, you know, a lot of schools do have holiday club and people don't necessarily want to put their kids in holiday club, but that's a different question. And I know, you know, plenty of people who I know who aren't teachers just have to put their kids in holiday club. So, yeah. Things as well that you've got the flexibility of, what about those nativities and plays and end of term things that many teachers miss out on because their own school can't give them up to have the flexibility of having that. So it works both ways, doesn't it? It's the disadvantage because you need to take the school holiday or use the holiday club, as you say, but there may well be opportunities, drop-offs at first day of school, those kinds of things that many teachers miss for their own children. And there are schools out there that, are really making this work now. Teachers can miss registration on that day to take their child to their first day of primary school, but there's many missing that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, how many days holiday do you get? 25, I think. Mm, yeah, I think that's about normal. Yeah. Plus bank holidays and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I do think that's an interesting question. Or you can just do what I do and just work for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and then just so but the thing i mean you know on on a serious note i'm now thinking that as george gets older and he's gonna like i say oh, he's starting primary school in september what wow what <laughs> where um, did that time go i know i know it's crazy so he's starting primary school in september we're already kind of in the school holidays i mean yeah so i'm trying to figure out like so i'm gonna need to take two months off basically every summer because his school has two months for the summer holidays. And yeah, and like three weeks over Christmas and a couple of weeks in October and a couple more weeks at Easter. So I'm, you know, luckily I work with teachers and most people don't want to be doing the stuff that I offer during the holidays. So that does work out. What it means for me as a self-employed person that I think other people, and again, you don't have to worry about this as a teacher and you won't have to worry about this with a job is that I have to figure out how much money I want or need to earn. And so basically I've thought like, okay, I want to earn X amount of money and I kind of divide that by 10 and then spread it out over 12 months. That's kind of how I'm working this out for myself of like, okay, so there are months where I'm just, I just have to push, 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 push and earn like twice as much as I think I'm going to need and then be really good at not, I'm not very good at not spending money. I'm trying to like put it in a savings account and not spend it so that then 
throughout July and August when I know that I don't earn much money. Like I never earn much money in August, really. The only thing is people starting to go back to school and starting to buy resources and, you know, starting to prepare stuff. But, you know, I've I've never in the seven years really earned very much. And, or December as well, because people are off for Christmas. So just knowing that and like planning for that, I know for a lot of people would be super stressful and they really wouldn't want to do it. And that's the thing about being unemployed is that if you can't live with the uncertainty every month of what you're going to be earning, then it's definitely not the right thing for you. I can live with that because I've been doing it for seven years and because I'm very lucky, you know, that as a household, we bring in enough income to cover it every month with my fluctuations of like, you know, literally earning like a few hundred pounds some months and then a few thousand pounds another month. You know, it's but if you yeah, if you can't cope with that, don't become self-employed. And if you never if you don't want to do a tax return, don't become self-employed because some people find that extremely stressful for sure. So so yeah, I think, you know, the holidays and the income and stuff like that, like like I say, I've got the best of both worlds in that I I just take the holidays with my son when I want to. But then I mean I you know, I've not been working now for three weeks really four weeks because he was ill for a week before the end of term so it has actually been four weeks now and I am so ready like, I was so excited about this chat this evening and I'm so ready tomorrow morning I'm like you're going to preschool and I'm going to do some work and I'm you know I'm really excited about it. but like you're saying I don't have that Sunday dread I'm not sitting there so we're recording this on the Sunday the 7th of January a lot of people will be going back to school tomorrow and a lot of people will be sitting there this evening feeling that dread, that Sunday dread of like, and especially at the beginning of a new term, we're just like, I don't want to go back. So yeah, I don't get that. Okay, a couple more questions. I'm aware we, we said we we're going to talk for an hour. We've kind of been going on a bit longer, but it's just such an interesting conversation. I think these are kind of related. So I'll tell you both the questions and then we can discuss them. So the first one was, how do you get over your identity as a teacher stopping you leaving? And how do people find the courage to leave? I feel stuck. So they're really, really good questions as well. Mm, I think the identity one really depends person to person. Because to start off with, like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't one of those people who felt they were born to be a teacher and that was my vocation and all the rest of it. But I had, in other ways, very much made myself out to be a teacher. I'd done my master's in education, my childhood teacher status. Teaching was literally everything I did. So I get that fear. And I think that's partially why I ended up staying in education because it very much was what I do and still how I would identify myself. I still identify a former teacher now doing this, former teacher now doing this because it is a big part of me. So, And I don't think you have to get away from that identity. So for the person asking that question, I think to an extent you don't and you don't have to. And like I said earlier, I think it's about putting a different spin on it. If you do need to distance yourself from it for what you want to do, putting that spin on your skills and reframing them. But I don't I don't think you have to get away from that identity. I think it's important to acknowledge that you spent all those years doing that. You work towards that. It is a big part of you. And just because you've gone on to do something else, actually, do you need to step away from that identity? I'd say no. Yeah, I, I agree. I think... I have always been a teacher and I always will be a teacher. I mean, I did, I was a, an English assistant on my year abroad and I just feel like I've been a teacher ever since really, you know, I taught English as a foreign language and then I did my PGCE and then I, I can't imagine not working in education personally. Who knows what the future will bring, but I, I cannot, because I think I, you know, like you were saying, I didn't necessarily like dream about being a teacher when I was a child. But I always felt like education is the single most important thing. I just think it's so important. And I will always believe that. And then I will always want to be a part of the world of education. So, yeah, I don't I don't think you have to give up your identity as a teacher. I always tell people I used to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. Literally today I was having a conversation with someone who used to be a German teacher as well. She was the grandmother of the kid whose birthday. I went to a fourth birthday party today. I have a lot of fourth birthday parties in my diary coming up. <laughs> thoughts and prayers please but yeah so honestly they're absolutely mad but yeah so I was talking to the grandma of the little boy today and she I think she's retired now but she was a German teacher and we were talking about how Germans being phased out here there and everywhere so and then having the courage back so I don't think I'm a good person to answer this because I literally like I said I got to a point where I just like I hit a wall and I was like I can't go back to school how did you have the courage to just go, I'm going to do this. I'm going to leave 
I had to prioritize myself and I knew that for my own health, well-being, relationship actually because if I'm coming home crying every night I'm not being a nice person to be around all of those reasons I had to go and I think it was the knowing that it was a you have to do this now or you'll be signed off you'll be doing whatever you you will crash your way out of teaching instead which is how I saw it at the time so I I had to have that courage and I'm that is not me I am not a brave person in general but I had to go And to an extent, it was about being selfish as well. It was going, I know I've got exam classes that I'm now leaving at the Christmas. Um, And there's all those reasons as a teacher that you stop yourself every time you think about it. You go, no, I can't leave now because, I can't leave now because. And this time it was, I have to leave now because. It was a matter of, I can see people I went to university with who did the same degree as me and they're out there doing other things. There's other things out there. And you you have to arm yourself with lots of information. So I did a huge amount of research. I had all the websites I was going to go on. I had the different types of jobs I could do. I looked into a, a languages franchise that I could have taken on. I looked into, I'd signed up with different supply agencies. I'd found out their fees. I knew my escape routes, so to speak. And I got the courage to do it because of that. And I had the support of the people around me. So my husband was 100% behind me on it. My mum, who I'm sure when I first said, I need to stop this, was probably a bit like, oh, hang on a minute. This is this is what you do. This is your life. My parents were behind me on it. And once you've spoken to other people, and you wouldn't believe the amount of people that go, yeah, I can't believe you've stuck it out this long. Or, yeah, it's time. Like, prioritise yourself. You get that courage from other people and from the research and from the, I have to, not, oh, I can't because... It's I have to, I'm going to prioritise myself. And the courage comes from that. Yeah, I think so. And I think, as you say, there's always going to be an excuse and you're always going to feel bad about the kids. And I still, to this day, I mean, you know, my tutor group are, well, they were 20 years younger than me. So they're in their early 20s now. And I still feel guilty. And I've seen like, you know, some of them follow me on social media and I've seen what they're up to. I mean, some of them got children already. And you know, one of them, I saw that she'd graduated with a master's degree recently. And I was like, yeah, me leaving you in year 11 hasn't really had a massive effect on your life, has it? You know, you're fine. You're all getting on really, really well. So that's always really nice to see. But yeah, but you still, I still feel guilty and I still think about them. And I just, you know, and I still, it, it mainly my tutor group, you know, leaving a tutor group in year 11, well, it wouldn't have been my first choice, but it's just... At the end of the day, yeah, if you if you're at a point where you just think this is not working for me, for my relationship, as you say, for my family or whatever it might be, then you have to do it for yourself. And sometimes you just have to. And and this is the awful bit, but you hear it banded around a lot. You're replaceable at school and you're not at home, you know, and that's hard. It's hard. You know, you leave a year 11 tutor group someone else will have stepped in with them for those few weeks until they'd finished or you know you leave that class and you feel really bad about it but they will be fine and if you don't make that choice for you if that's where you're at because you really need to not just because you're a bit fed up and you fancy it but if you really need to then that's fine you're not replaceable at home but you are in school all that said even if you are just a bit fed up and you fancy a change that's also fine then you don't have to be on the brink to do that I didn't mean it in that way at all but no absolutely and I think there's nothing wrong with changing jobs and changing careers anyway I mean as you said you looked at it and thought am I going to do this for another 30 years I mean even now I'm thinking at my age I'm like I still got another at least 20-25 years of work ahead of me I did actually have a bit of a revelation last year I was thinking I've been working for roughly 20 odd years and I've got at least another 20-25 years ahead of me in the workplace and I just thought oh my gosh you know you you're working for a very long time so don't stick with something just because you feel obliged or a little bit nervous about moving out of what you know, moving out of your comfort zone, which is hard. And I think people, when they're moving at different stages in their career, will feel differently. So people who are, and I think there was at least a couple of people in the in the chat who are really early on in their career, actually, you know what, now's the time to do it if you want to do it because you've got time to get into something else and really forge your way in that, that new thing. You know, I, I'm where I am now. I enjoy my role. 
whether I'd stay in this exact role for however long, move around within things that I would never have dreamt of before. It might be that you've been teaching 30 odd years naturally. And I know somebody that I work with that, that does that just wanted a change of scenery. They're not looking to start a brand new career and, and, and whatever. It's dependent on where you're at and what you're doing, but you can you can make that change for whatever reason when you want to. Yeah, yeah. We've had a great comment as well saying, I personally feel enthused and excited after this podcast. Thank you. Great to make contacts and get some precious tips to move forward. I feel that I'm not alone. Do you know what? I feel like if I could have written the purpose of this conversation, it's that. And I think, again, a lot of if, if you're in a school where everybody seems to really love what they're doing, you might think, oh, why am I questioning it? Why am I not enjoying it? And yeah, if you're worried about, you know, what you can do afterwards then you're not alone I mean you know as I said earlier over what was it 40,000 people left in 2022 so you are definitely not alone another comment someone disagreeing with what you're saying this is where I'm at I can't leave now because dot 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 and that's a difficult thing and I think it takes a lot of you know mindset shift I mean I I did I you know totally open about this I had counselling because like I say I was suffering from anxiety which was very strange for me and I had counselling and I remember one of the things I was talking about was being resilient and I was just sort of saying oh I'm not very resilient and the counsellor actually said to me you are so resilient like a lot of people would not have stuck with this for as long as you did and I think teachers and I've I think I've said this in the past on the podcast as well teachers don't know how resilient they are I think because you just get up and you get on with it every single day. You don't actually know how resilient you are and you you just think it's normal. There's a lot of things that teachers think are normal that you you move into the real world, as I think I keep calling it, but <laughs> and and suddenly go, oh, that's not that's yeah. not how things work. I don't have to you're just things like, you know, we're very used to having to be in a particular place at a particular time and directed to do a particular thing during that particular time and then you go oh I don't have to do that that's not how things work oh okay yeah there's a lot of things that teachers don't realize they are or they're doing or can be because we're just very blinkered to it and you have to take a step back and look at what you're doing and and see how well you're doing at those things and one of the best things about not being a teacher anymore is you can have a wee whenever you want (laughs) yes (laughs) and a snack and a snack and a hot cup of tea I wasn't even allowed water in my classroom in my last school so yeah I know oh wow yeah so yeah you can you can sit and drink a cup of tea and work on your computer and think oh I need a wee and you just get up and go for a wee it's a revelation okay we haven't had any more comments or questions I don't think unless anybody would like to pop anything in the chat now so I think we're going to wrap up our oh, Bex. I knew this would be a good conversation. It's been such a good conversation. I have enjoyed it as much, if not more than I thought it would do. So can I just say, Kate, I would be more than happy. And I know how hard it is to approach someone that you don't know that you've never spoken to. But I honestly would be more than happy for any one of the people that's been listening now or is listening to it as a recording to get in touch because sometimes you just need that chat with somebody else who's done it and understands the shift. So whether that's via Twitter, which honestly I don't check as much as I used to, but whether it's via Twitter or Instagram or however, LinkedIn is actually an easy way to get hold of me these days, but I know not many teachers use it too much please never feel like there's a barrier to get in touch with people. Like I said, I contacted people. I had no idea who they were and they were actually really helpful to me. So if I can pay that forward, I absolutely will. Well, that actually fits perfectly with what I always ask at the end of interviews. How can people find you? So you mentioned Twitter slash X. Yeah, so it's at BexN91 on there, at Page Practice Podcast on Instagram. And then what's probably the best way, if you just search Rebecca Waker on LinkedIn, you'll find me either as myself or as my PearsonEd Excel self. I will respond to you via either channel. Okay. And again, when this is released as a podcast episode, I will put your handles. Perfect. 
I've forgotten your Twitter one because I don't use Twitter anymore. I might, I might not even do that one, but sorry. <laughs> <laughs> At Page Practice Podcast on Instagram is the one that I use the most, I think, to connect with you, don't I? So, um, yes, I don't check it as frequently. So if I look like I'm ignoring you, please try LinkedIn or the website that's linked in my bio. Um, my bio on Twitter's uh, not Twitter. Instagram's got some links in it. So try there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the same with me as well. I mean, you know, if you're thinking of working for yourself, and sort of putting yourself out there as a tutor or doing teacher training or things like that. I'm always looking for people to help me as well because I'm always getting requests from people that I can't do because I don't have enough time. So um, yeah, I'm always looking for tutors and for people to do CPD with and all sorts of things. So yes, I'm as well always open and I'm at Kate Languages on everything, but not, no, I'm not. It's just literally just Instagram and Facebook. (laughs) I don't I don't do any other like TikToky type things or anything like that. But um yeah, so our Kate Languages on Facebook and Instagram. So thank you everybody who's come along this evening. Thank you for your amazing comments. Just having lots of nice comments saying thank you, amazing, thank you. It's been re- really informative and stuff. So I'm so, so, so glad that we actually we actually found a date where the two of us and Joe were all available to do this and that people have joined us. And if you are starting back tomorrow after Christmas, then hope it's okay. Hope it's not too bad. And for those who are listening to this as a podcast, this will be in February. So it's half term. Hey. <laughs> and um yeah, as always, just let me know. Let me know what your thoughts are on this topic so um yeah so like i say thank you so much to everybody who's joined us this evening and uh good evening goodbye thank you so much i hope you enjoyed this episode of the kate languages podcast if you did please think about leaving me a five-star review and you can also tag me on social media to let me know you've been listening and let me know your thoughts on the episode Also, don't forget to subscribe so the next episode of the Kate Languages podcast can be delivered straight to your device as soon as it's released. But until then, our feed is in. Au revoir. Adios. Bye.